0: Master Hakuin's Chant and Praise of Zazen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, of repentance, and giving, the countless good deeds in the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus, one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, We go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open, not two and not three straight ahead runs away. Our form now being no form, in going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi! How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom! What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. It's the 1st of June 2021 and uh, this is going to be the first of three talks on the precepts. Um, Jitkai is just a month away now so I wanted to spend these these three three whole talks um, looking at the ten precepts and also hopefully having a little bit of time for discussion at the end of each um, talk. for that reason, I would encourage everybody to not always have your eyes down. I've found that with discussion, if, if everybody has their eyes down for all all through the talk, then they're less likely to to um, talk at the end. And I think especially with the precepts, it's helpful to um, have a bit of discussion because there's such, there's such a practical aspect of the teaching. And um, so, yeah, just if you If you feel like it, you can angle towards me more if you if you wanted to, of course, you're welcome to keep your eyes down as well. It's up to you, but it may make a bit of a difference, and I'll be taking my glasses on and off because I can either see my words or I can see you all. <laughs> but anyway, um often when I do talk on the precepts, I start off from the beginning, like going through the offerings and the Um, repentance and the three treasures and um, the three general resolutions and so forth and by the time we get to the ten cardinal precepts we've sort of run out of time so I thought this time, this year, we'd just look at the ten cardinal precepts and um, not the other aspects of, of the Jukai ceremony even though they're all important, as is the dinner afterwards as well um, that's that's also a part of um, the kind of the celebration of being a sangha, I guess. So um, just a few a few general comments, um, and then we'll tr- we'll see if we can look at, at, at a couple of precepts, um, just a little bit, and then have have a discuss- some discussion about the two of them. One point I think is really um, is really a key is that the precepts originate from the Eightfold Path. So the most the most basic, most fundamental teaching of the Buddha includes um, um, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, which is wh- what. The place where the, the 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 more detailed precepts emerge from, and we'll have a look at that in a minute. But the four eightfold path is a part of the four noble truths truths, and it's worth just reviewing these too. They don't come up so much within Zen teaching, but they're really um, at the foundation of all the different schools of Buddhism. And the Buddha was known. Um, was often referred to as the great physician, and um, one of the reasons for this was because of the way that he formulated the Eightfold Path, the uh, Four Noble Truths, and the Eightfold Path. And you have the first truth, uh, noble truth, um, is is the kind of the diagnosis of the problem, what's the problem? And he he basically said. Well, conditioned or unenlightened existence is unsatisfactory. It's 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 the um, what Mick Jagger says. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> no matter how hard I try, it it um, somehow I can never reach what I'm searching for. I can never grasp what I'm looking for. The second noble truth was to do with the cause of suffering, so the 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 etiology of the disease, and the Buddha sort of um, expressed this as um, as craving, this this thirst we have, this this bottomless thirst. That we refer to in our four vows when we say endless blind passions. Thirst and he divided the kinds of thirst up into three. Craving of sensory stimulation of all different kinds from from excitement to comfort. Um, Craving becoming, wanting to be something. And then the last one not wanting to be something, wanting to annihilate oneself or, or not exist. And then the third noble truth was there is a way out. This is the prognosis. The prognosis is good. And the Buddha taught that because the, the causes of our, of our suffering were conditioned, our condition, the construction, you could say, not not something in intrinsic, then they can be deconstructed. So there is a way out. And then the fourth aspect of the eightfold path was was the, the you could say, the prescription or the plan, the treatment plan. And it, had, it has these eight different aspects to it. Um, so the, the eightfold path is like the medicine for our sickness. But of course, medicine's not, any use if it stays in the bottle it's it's something we we've got to, to put into practice so the Eightfold path um, is the path to liberation or well, the in the Pali that tradition they would say that early Buddhism they'd say the path of release Nibbana we might we might say rather in in the Mahayana awakening the path to awakening and it it's consists of these eight parts, and they can be understand to some degree in a, as a sequence. a sequence. You have um, starting with right view where you see there's a problem, right aspiration, you aspire to do something about the problem, so forth, going through. Uh, but they're also more like um, strands of a braid or a rope you, that we're all uh, all are twisted together and working together and we have to really work on all of them um, all at once. But they're always um, broken up into three sections. The first two, right view and right thought or aspiration, are the wisdom, wisdom part and, and that comes, comes first because you could have a little bit of wisdom just even to get started, at least to be aware of one's suffering and wanting to get, get beyond it, or other people's suffering. Then, then there's three strands of the path that have to do with, with how we behave. Um, right speech, right action and right livelihood. Um, so this is the ethical conduct part, Shila, Now the wisdom is is panna or prajna. And then the, the 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 last section, the the crowning part of the three aspects, is is um, the samadhi part or the meditation um, aspect of the path. So to do with our mental balance or or discipline, how we work with our mind and heart, and that's made up of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. As I said, they're they're, they're deeply interwoven into each other, performing like a like a braid or a rope. Um, but our focus is going to be on the sīla or the ethical conduct part. And then this is numbers three, four, and five, as I mentioned: right speech, right action, right livelihood. And uh, it's, I think it's no accident that they're in the middle of the list, um, that because they're so um, at the centre, they're so their core uh, core aspect to our our um, practice. And um, that's why Jukai is an important part of our. Of our practice, we've been referring to these these eight aspects as right thought, right speech, right view, etc. But actually, the, the the this this traditional <coughs> translation of um, uh, right um, is, is not it's not very accurate. Um, I'd like to read a little bit from, from an article by um, Lama Govinda. He was a great um, scholar, practitioner, translator of um, uh, Vajrayana texts um, around the middle of last century. And um, he writes about the, the, this, this, the translation of right um, in the Eightfold Path. He says the word Samyak, um, and this is the, the word that appears at the beginning of each of the, the eight parts, Samyak, Drishti, Samyak, Samkalpa, etc., He says, the word samyak, which generally is rendered as right, has a far greater importance than that. This is because right and wrong are relative concepts which depend merely on the viewpoint of the observer but have no value in themselves. What appears right in one person may be wrong to another, but samyak is much deeper and wider in meaning. It signifies a state of mind in which our whole being is involved and united. Would it not be better to translate this word according to its original meaning, as it is revealed by the language which was used in the time in which the teaching of the Buddha was remembered and committed to writing? The term Samyak Sam Buddha shows us that right does not fit into the context, for the Buddha is not a rightly, enlightened one, but rather a perfectly or completely enlightened one. And this is this is um, the way that the, the Buddha is referred to, Samyak Sambora, completely enlightened one. This is also confirmed by the Tibetan translation of Samyak um, as Yang Dag, which implies the idea of the middle way, avoiding all extremes, being unprejudiced and open-minded. It is this attitude of the Buddha which became the foundation of his teaching and which is represented as the highest step of the Eightfold Path, Samadhi. It is the complete unification and integration of our being, the order to achieve, in order to achieve this, we must first attain a perfect unity of all our psychic faculties, and if we have thus established harmony within ourselves, we will have to course the eightfold path on ever ascending higher planes of experience and realization. So the point he's making here is that we're where our practice isn't just about uh, reaching some kind of state in our meditation, but really of, of summoning and balancing and unifying all of our faculties our our um, emotional mental faculties and our bodies as well if we have thus established harmony within ourselves, we will have to course the eightfold path on ever ascending higher planes of experience and realization so we have in this 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 way he's talking you can imagine it's like we we circle back we never sort of leave these um aspects of the eightfold path behind but we we come to them again and again perhaps um with greater greater understanding with greater realization and so can go go more deeply into them In order to comprehend this, we have to have a clear conception of the last steps of the Eightfold Path, namely wholehearted mindfulness and complete one-pointedness of purpose. All these qualities have concentration as their root, but samādhi is much more than simple concentration. He goes on to say that that anybody doing a, a reasonably demanding job has to have good concentration but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about samadhi. He says, Samadhi is not just a state of tranquility, hypnosis, deep sleep, or even a self-induced trance. In the West, the words concentration and contemplation and meditation have become almost synonymous, but there is a vast difference in the terminology of Buddhism. Effort is the one-pointed exertion of the world to abstain from harming others and to promote all that is beneficial to others and ourselves. Contemplation is the attentive observation of our thoughts and mental visualization of our aims. Samadhi, however, is more than what is commonly regarded as meditation in the sense of intellectual activity or thinking and reflecting on a given subject. It is the integration of subject and object, the becoming one of the meditator and the object of his meditation, or her meditation. This, 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 becoming one with the breath, or the khan, So the, these ideas we hold of, of subject and object dropping away. One thing remains the common basis for all these steps. They are characterised by the word Samyak, which means that we are to employ all psychic and spiritual faculties. They consist not merely, not only of merely moral and intellectual motives, but are the expression of a well-balanced mind, undisturbed by momentary intentions and expectations. They are the expression of our innermost convictions. Samyak include, excludes any kind of one-sidedness. So it gives, gives a bit of a, a sense of these, these aspects of the Eightfold Path. And some sense of this continues, it carries over into um, the precepts. So rather than right view, right aspiration, we might say complete view or, or open view or perfect view, perhaps integrated view. And as far as the, 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 um, the ones we're looking to do with Sheila or, or um, ethical conduct. We could say taking, taking up vows um, to do with these, these aspects of ethical conduct really are um, ways of, of taking responsibility for ourselves. Realising that, that uh, our happiness is not something that's out there that, that we need to um, grasp hold of so much as they are inner qualities that we can develop. And that's one way of seeing the precepts, is seeing them as as, uh, trainings. Thich Nhat Hanh used this expression for the precepts that he developed, the 14, and we'll have a look at some of those later. Um, To understand our, our work on the precepts to be a process, Otherwise we'd get very disappointed with ourselves. That it's a process of cultivation. And really, um, in the case of the precept you think in terms of trees rather than cabbages or onions or anything like that, or flowers. In other words, um, deep-rooted, long-lived, And we cultivate these these um, uh, this right action and, and livelihood and speech, not just for ourselves, but for others. Um, as we've been exploring in our Buddhism my numbers course, um, Buddhism is full of lists of <laughs> numbered lists, and one that that I came across the other day was, the three kinds of gifts. And the first one is, is material things, so giving, giving food or, or money or clothing or things like this to people. The second one is, is the Dharma, giving the teaching. And the third one I found quite unusual. The third gift is giving safety. And and upholding pr- out the precept as as best we can, is you could say a way of giving safety to others, in that they're they're um, as much as possible not harming others, and and allowing others to have that expectation of non-harm. That's that's really the foundation for security. If you think of a society where people are nonviolent and honest and kind, generous, that's, uh, that's really the definition of a safe society. So there's one, one way of seeing these precepts which can be helpful, is to see them as gifts to, um, to each other. Not should or shoulds or oughts, but really coming out of of our love for each other. One thing we, we point out um, pretty regularly is they're not these precepts are not commandments, um, because there are ten of them. It's easy to think that they might be sort of the same, but they're they're really more descriptive than they are prescriptive. In other words, how we would behave if our hearts were consistently full of love for each other, free of self-concern, So, based on compassion, that is, that is non-separation, and we'll explore that a bit more in a moment with um, not the first, of the um, not to kill, um, and on wisdom, both. So, on an understanding of, of the laws of karma, that that what what we what go what goes around comes around. So in the in the um, Pali commentaries on these on the um, eightfold path, under right speech or perhaps we should say complete speech, there are four kinds of of speech to be avoided, and if they are um, avoided, then that constitutes. Right speech, and often things will be done in the negative rather than the positive. So, what is not right, and to avoid that, and then you, what's left is kind of what's right. Um, so, not telling lies, false speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, and frivolous speech, and um, those translates slightly um, differently into our set of precepts. We have one about not lying, one about not gossiping, one about not praising oneself, and then um, the tenth one, which is about not reviling the three treasures, which I think could also be concluded as a one to do with how we speak. Not to disparage the three treasures. We get we get um, from right action. We get three. Um, right action is to do with peaceful conduct of different kinds, and three th- three aspects of this are found in right action: not killing, not stealing, and not engaging in harmful sexual relations. So that's right action. And then one of our precepts comes out of the right livelihood (coughs) part of the the Eightfold Path, which lists a variety of occupations that bring harm to other people. Trading in arms, trading in poisons, slaughtering animals slavery, I think it's included in some of the lists. And this gets translated into our our precept on um, not to cause others to take intoxicants. And We'll be coming back to these, uh, these ones later, but the two we're going to look at today are the first two. Um, but just one more sort of general general comment here. The precepts are steep. When you, we'll see when we um, hear how they're elaborated in various um, strip- scriptures. So it's just um, part of the part of the process that we fall off the wagon, we'd say veer off the path again and again. And that's why we have repeated Jukai ceremonies. It's not something people just do once and then uh, they're done with. But we, we, we take Jukai year after year, sometimes twice a year. Um, and it what it... it why, the reason why we do that is that um, we're sort of n- not Buddhists if we don't behave as Buddhists, and so, so therefore we, we're sort of renewing our commitment to the way of the Buddha. Jukai is the nearest thing that we have to an initiation ceremony. Um, but in good Buddhist spirit, we 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 reinitiate, <laughs> just as we re, are reborn. Um, so we we renew. We, we wash. We wash the vows and kind of hang them up, and um, then put them on again. Um, and th- this this commitment to the vows, even though they are are steep, is is important. Um, we've been talking about samyak. This word that comes before the the um, the aspects of the eightfold path, as meaning complete or or perfect. And um, whatever tradition we take up, whatever path we take, that we take it up wholeheartedly is is um, is vital. That we that we practice with 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 sincerity. I came across a comment by James Ford. Um, James Ford is, a, is he's a a Unitarian minister who's also a Zen teacher and is quite a prodigious blogger. And I can't possibly keep up with all his blogs but I sometimes will have a look at one or two. And um, it's a fairly recent one. He was talking about um, people who are spiritual but not religious. And he said, uh, he says, they're a category of folk I'm endlessly fascinated with. I've certainly seen a lot of what I could, could would consider as, at the very best, shallow stuff among that crowd. It's easy to see how the spiritual but not religious are often caught up in a spiritual market where the individual is invited to shop among many of the, the world's many religions picking this and that from one or other religion and in the end creating something totally customized I have sympathies with the impulse to make my own judgments and well I do it if I hope cautiously because he's he's a he's a living hybrid <laughs> as both a a Unitarian minister and a Zen teacher. I am also very aware of how dangerous this can be. One can easily end up with a closed system where one's prejudices are constantly reinforced, creating a spirituality that is just a bunch of mirrors reflecting me. And with that, the project becomes about protection, not depth. To, to commit to a path, to commit to a community um, is, is to be vulnerable in some ways. To commit to a teacher, to, to say to oneself, I'm going to w- do this work, I'm going to do this practice with this community, is, uh, can be scary. But if we don't do that, Then we may find ourselves kind of just hovering around on the on the periphery of spiritual practice. So, so we can see jukai as part of this this process. So, if we go. If, as I've been saying, if we go, if we go way, way, way back to the begin- beginnings of of the Buddhism, of Buddhism, we can we can find the precepts embedded there in those those um, three aspects of the Eightfold Path: right, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. We can also trace our particular configuration of the of the ten precepts to a particular. Um, scripture are uh, called the Brahma net scripture Sutra um, and this is different from the Pali there's there's two sutra, sutras with this name but this one is the one that you will find in China and, and Tibet and and in this long Sutra there's a section on on the precepts and it lists ten major precepts and 48 minor ones and this is um, text is said to be um, a translation from the Sanskrit into the Chinese by Kumarajiva, who was one of the great great translators of, of sutras in, the, in uh, China. And so he did this translation around 400 AD. But some people think that perhaps this was a, uh, a, a document that just was was invented in the Chinese rather than translated from the Sanskrit. Um, Though there there is a Tibetan version of it. And it has it has the precepts in exactly the the order and uh, nature that we have in ours. So what happened was this um, particular Text survived through all all the centuries of, of um, Buddhism in China, and and came to to Japan. And in Japan, came the became the the um, main precepts taken by both lay people and um, priests. They they these sort of replaced the more more lengthy and detailed Vinaya. Our precepts, and have found in other other parts of Buddhism. So um, we'll we'll um, dip into it just to get us get a um, a flavour the flavour of it. As we go through, hopefully we'll have time to yes, I think we will have time to just briefly touch on the first two two of the the ten, which in our version and the first one is, is formulated in this way i resolve not to kill but to cherish all life and um, in pali the sort of rationale for this this particular precept, the first one, which is found, um, the, f- the first five of our ten are also the, the, the precepts that are taken by lay people within the, the Theravadan tradition. So we share those same five. And the, it goes like this, the case for not killing. If someone wishes to kill me, that is not enjoyable to me. What is not enjoyable to me is also like that for another. So how could I kill another? Having had this reflection, one undertakes not to kill sentient beings and does not enjoy when sentient beings are killed. So, in the in the Pali sutras, the, it's really the golden rule. Let's say that is behind um, not to kill. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In the Brahmanet, Net, um, is there's um, which is a more of a Mahayana view. It's um, there's an additional couple of uh, reasons for not killing. Here's how the the Brahmanet phrases the, this first precept: A disciple of the Buddha shall not himself kill. Encourage. Let me try. I'll, I may skip up here, slip up here, but I'll try and replace in, in neutral uh, pronouns in here. A disciple of the Buddha shall not themselves kill, encourage others to kill, kill by expedient means, praise killing, rejoice at witnessing killing, or kill through incantation or deviant mantras. They must not create the causes, conditions, methods, or karma of killing, and shall not intentionally kill any living creature. As a Buddha's disciple, they ought to nurture a mind of compassion and filial piety always devising expedient means to rescue and protect all beings. If instead they fail to restrain themselves and kill sentient beings without mercy, they commit a Parajika offence. Parajika is a major offence, which for these, these ten pre- presets all were major offences. It meant that you would be could be excluded from the Sangha for, for, for this, this infraction, so to speak. So um, there's a lot in here. We we probably haven't got time to go into all all the details of this of this um, this formulation. Um, just a couple of notes: killing through incantation or deviant mantras is probably by magic, by black magic, you could say. Um, the filial piety being mentioned makes one imagine that. Perhaps it might be originally Chinese, (laughs) because that's a very, very Chinese concept. Um, Everybody probably knows about this, but it's the emphasis on um, respecting and revering one's elders and learning from them, and protecting and teaching or guiding one's juniors. So these two, very, very important in, in Chinese culture. sort of... As, as, as espoused by Confucius and as the, the, the pillar of, of Chinese culture. But in the footnotes to this, this um, first precept, there's a different reason given. Um, killing sentient beings, including slaughtering animals for food, is among the heaviest transgressions in Buddhism. This is not only because such acts create untold suffering, but also because they cut short the lives of future Buddhas, as all sentient beings have a common Buddha nature. So, in a sense, to kill is to to kill future Buddhas. There's there's another one, too, which is very predominant in in Tibetan thinking around this. And this is um, the teaching that Um, everyone's been our mother, and we've been the mothers to everybody. This is a version of this explained here. There is a teaching in Buddhist tradition which tells us that each atom of the universe, at one time or another, has been our mother, and that we have been the mother of each atom as well. Each atom has brought us into being, given us life. Each atom has nourished us, and we have done the same for every atom in the ever never-ending, continuous moment we call our lives. To grasp even a little of this teaching makes quite a difference in how we move through the world, seeing what we see and hearing what we hear. It changes our touching and how we touch, our knowing and how we know. And if you think of a, a universe that's been in existence for three 13.8 billion years, there can be a lot of um, exchanging of, of atoms that happen within that, that, that time. And of course the Buddhist, the Buddhist concepts of time is e- are even vaster than that, much vaster than that. So um, rather than try and fit to two precepts, I think we'll just, we'll just stop with this one um, and have a little bit of a discussion about it. Um, it can be understand on a little, a literal um, level of just, just if we avoid killing as 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 much as we can. Um, I had an issue on my retreat this last week with ants in my muesli, and um, they really got. There was a lot of ants, uh, and uh, so I ended up having to. Pour, put the muesli onto a big dinner plate spread it out and then sort of pick the bits of oats out from among the ants <laughs> and and i and i'd know you know i was wanting to be careful and and on harming but i noticed my annoyance level going up and my carelessness increasing as i as it took longer and longer and just to see that 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 attitude we have of, of, of towards other beings of not being as um, valuable or important or um, really, but the ants can't be blamed. They're just you, you know making their living, um, doing what they were doing. Um, so and and I noticed as I got more impatient, I got more ants got got squashed or pushed away. From a from a so that's one side that the that just the literal side. Um, I can't can't go there. <laughs> um but then there's the, the 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 more the spirit of the precept which which is to to understand these not as, as sort of con- laws cast in concrete but the spirit of it is um to refrain from killing our mind of compassion and reverence. So not literal. There might be occasions when we do have to kill, in order to protect, um, say, a, a mass shooter or something like that. Um, but um, to 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 stop and and um, um, examine what we do, the decisions we make, and and uh, I think particularly decisions maybe around how we buy. This may be one of the ways that we. That we encounter this precept, how we invest our money, uh, what KiwiSaver um, provider we we choose, these sorts of things, where um, issues around killing can can they can seem a bit remote, but they are important decisions to make. Um, but but I will just stop here. We we'll save some of the rest for next the next talk. And and I was thinking we could just if people could just turn to rather than disrupting everything turn to the person next to you. Um, some of you may have to move slightly, um, and just tell each other about some aspect of this particular precept, the resolve not to kill but to cherish your life, that is a struggle or a recurring dilemma or. Um, or an issue that you've had around how, how to to understand how to bring the precept into your life. So just take that moment to tell each other so make sure you give chance to the other person, person who starts first, hear the other person, and then we'll just briefly come back together and see if there's anybody wants to report on any of the stories that they heard. So we'll just take a few minutes, maybe five or five or so, ten min- minutes to just talk. So you can yes yeah and if we've got an odd number I can join I I, I can talk to you Emma <laughs> okay and um, I think we will just um, stop the stop the um, recording at this point. Um, Or pause it so just those people listening to the recording we're going to just um, stop it, pause it now stop it and um, maybe record the very end of the reporting back